FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. Welcome back to the Commercial Appeals Memphis Grizzlies Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeals Sports Columnist. I'm joined, as usual, by DeMichael Cole, our Grizzlies beat writer. We're coming to you Monday afternoon on the heels of the Grizzlies game one loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves 130-117 at FedEx Forum in game one. Game two is tomorrow night, Tuesday night at FedEx Forum. Um, Obviously a game with huge stakes for the Grizzlies now that they're down 0-1. We've got a lot to get to. we're going to break down game one, get you ready for game two, talk about what's happened in the 48 hours or so since the game ended. Uh, but we're going to start with uh, DeMichael. He was down at FedEx Forum today. The Grizzlies spoke for the first time since uh, the post game uh, of game one. Um, in the And so in the aftermath of that loss, obviously a big... Uh, Big moment for adjustments between game one and game two. DeMichael, what were your big takeaways now that the now that the Grizzlies have had 48 hours or so to digest what happened in game one? What were they saying today? You know, Mark, I feel like they were they were just saying, you know, we, we reviewed the film. Uh, I think Ja, you know, his his approach, uh, he was very, you know, direct in his assessment of the game. And I'll get to that. But Jaron Jackson as well um got a chance to talk to him and and jaron jackson pretty much you know he he was the one guy who you can say struggled uh in this game dealt with foul trouble five fouls in and out of the game negative 16 plus minus and even he's had seven blocks but he he just you know never was able to make that consistent impact on the game but getting back to ja um he talked about making the extra pass and he that was the one thing he noticed. He was, you know, hard on himself about that. He even mentioned it in terms of getting Jaron Jackson, who shot for 13 goal. He said something like, you know, if he would have made the extra passes a little bit sooner instead of taking one more dribble, you know, he took that extra dribble. And by the time he passed it to his teammates, even though they were open, it, it gave more time for Minnesota defenders to close out and made it a tougher shot. So those little things show you, you know, how much, They've dived in on just watching the film of game one because those are real intricate details. So I think, I mean, they 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 really, you know, honed in on that, just watching the film, seeing what they need to do, what they got to do, and we'll see what the results are. Yeah, I know a lot of uh, interesting, interesting things. You also have John Morant channeling uh, yeah. The Last Dance and Michael Jordan, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Apparently he was – apparently last night he was watching The Last Dance – um, and, uh, is trying to, you know, use some of that energy, uh, for good, for good, if you will, um, here with the Grizzlies. I thought that was, I don't know how much it actually matters, but it is interesting. Um, that, that kind of gives you a glimpse into what Jaws mindset is moving forward. Um, was, I, I said, it was, it was, it was a, a timely thing. I mean, if you, if you just listen to Jordan's message, you know, it was, so he, he he tuned into the right message, you know. Jordan saying, you know, so what? You know, we lost the game. What does it matter? Now, the my favorite part was when Jordan talked about, you know, the trash talk, 
And he says, oh, it, you know, anyone can talk trash when you're in the league. But, you know, the real trash talkers can talk trash when the game is tied or when you're trailing. I wonder if, if he, you know, he didn't clip that part out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward too, Mark. <laughs> well, I think it was a scene, if I'm not mistaken, it mm-hmm. was a scene from the last dance after the Bulls had surprisingly lost to the Charlotte Hornets in a playoff game. And mm-hmm. B.J. Armstrong had hit some big shots and had talked trash after winning the game for Charlotte. I believe that is the circumstances of that scene that John Morant clipped out. Um, and and I will say Michael Jordan's one of the few guys in the history, you know, in history, you know, the Bulls were down once down 0-2 to the New York Knicks and came back and won four straight. Um, now, who's just, I, I don't know if Jaws capable of that. We'll, you know, we'll learn. This is a... This is a big moment, though, for the franchise, for this particular group of players, because, you know, this is a position they've never been in. They've never been in a series where they're expected to win um, like this. And, um, you know, one of my takeaways, you mentioned what Jaron said about how bad he played. You know, one thing I think that was highlighted in that game the other day, DeMichael, as Jaron Jackson Jr. goes, so goes this series. I really, truly believe that. I yeah. think he's the key figure for Memphis in this series. If he plays three more games like he played the other night, they're going to lose the, to the Timberwolves. Um, they cannot have a scenario where he's both not hitting shots on offense and in foul trouble and not able to play a lot. Like, they can maybe get by if he's not hitting shots, but he's able to stay on the court and you have his elite defensive presence out there for 35 mm-hmm. minutes or more, uh, you know, I don't think you can survive if both those things are going against him. He's not hitting from outside where he's going to get open looks. He got open looks in game one and he's playing with foul chief dealing with foul trouble that limits his minutes. Um, I really think I, I truly believe now moving forward, if we're going to say who's got the biggest spotlight on him, it's not actually John Moran. I, I really do think it might be Jaron Jackson Jr. and to a lesser extent, Taylor Jenkins. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see that. You know, I really can. You know, I can because at the end of the day, you know, John Moran is going to get the most attention. But your point about, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. being the you know as important you know this team goes as he goes I, I mean it's a great point I mean I even I wrote about that you know just like a month ago because uh, you just look at how this game played out for example in game one Brandon Clark you know he held his own in those switches and and you know Anthony Edwards made a couple tough shots over him and even he held his own against Carl Anthony Towns but if you would have had him out there and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that would have been even, you know, much better defensively and, and, and put them in better situations to, you know, hold their own on the boards as well uh, from a rebounding perspective. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., I mean, when he was in the game, I mean, he had like a couple massive blocks like on Carl Anthony Towns. So he is probably your best option in terms of from a mobile strength and a contesting perspective of guarding Carl Anthony Towns. You know, Carl Anthony Towns did a lot of his work uh, off the dribble. It wasn't a lot of like bully ball pushing guys under the rim. It was a lot of him, you know, just being quicker than Steven Adams for the most part. And 
Jaron Jackson Jr. moves well laterally, laterally, and he could have, you know, evened out that matchup just a little bit more. And even, you know, guarding guys like Anthony Edwards, I point back to when DeMar DeRozan, you remember when he came to Memphis and he, and he had that, you know, that hot streak. No, this was in Chicago, actually. When he had that hot streak where he had 30-plus points and I think it was eight or so consecutive games with 50% shooting, and that streak ended against the Grizzlies because uh, Jaron Jackson held his own when he was switched out onto him when a lot of bigs weren't able to do that. So, yeah, he's he's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it, it, you sort of bring up the other dilemma that came out of game one, um, Stephen Adams, in that he was pretty terrible. Um, and the Timberwolves really targeted him um, in that, you know, with Carl Anthony Towns and even in switches and all that. Like, he was not really... You know, one of the I think one of the key moment key things about that game in game one was um, one, how bad he was in that first quarter, especially, but also the beginning of the third, too. Um, if you look at if you break down what Carl Anthony Towns did in that game, he had 28 points. Um, if you go through it in the second quarter, in seven minutes in the second quarter, when primarily he wasn't being defended by Stephen Adams, he had one field goal. And in the fourth quarter, when he primarily wasn't being defended by Steven Adams, he was two of five with two turnovers. Most mm. of his damage was done in the first quarter and the third quarter when they when they trotted out Steven Adams with the starting lineup and had him matched up with Carl Anthony Towns. And um, I I wondered I wonder openly if over one half of that game game one they might have played Steven Adams out of the series in that I don't know how useful he's going to be. I think you give him another shot in game two, but with a very short leash um, because it feels like to me this is going to be a series where you're playing Brandon Clark 35 minutes a game um, or at least trying to. I, I don't know if you want to go through that exercise again with Steven Adams because I don't think, given Jaron's foul issues, you want Jaron matched up with Carl Anthony Towns too much before the fourth quarter of these games. You know, I think you need to find a solution other than having Jaron defend Carl Anthony Towns the entire game, because I don't know if he can stay on the court doing that. Um, and I think it's one of the key things Taylor Jenkins is going to have to navigate through here moving forward. And, and really, if, you, if we're spotlighting game two, which feels like a game, I mean, you cannot go down 0-2 in this series, losing both games at home. It'd be really difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible to come back from, mm -hmm. but very few teams do. Like yeah. the Clippers did it last year, but like that was with no one in the stands in LA. Like those weren't your typical home games that they mm -hmm. lost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so um, I, I think figuring out can you know because Stephen Adams does some things that presumably could be of use, you know, he, you know, he didn't offensive rebound. His whole game was off in game one. Um, but it, you know, you want it, you don't want to have him not be able to play the entire series, um, or, or have a meaningful role in the series. At the same time, you don't have much room for error anymore. Like you can, you know, you can't just like, he played 25 minutes the other in game one. And, you know, if he plays like he did in game one, you can't have 25 minutes of him on the floor. Um, so yeah. I think that's going to be a, I am curious to see how ultimately they decide to adjust in game two with the Steven Adams dilemma, if you will, I'm sure we'll see more double teams like we did as game one progress, but 
how Taylor Jenkins navigates all that um, will be very, very interesting. I, I'm curious, what would you do with Adams? Like, would you would you shell them right now? How would you handle that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think you you gotta, you know, you 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 gotta continue, like you said, just just start the game out pretty much with your same starting five, you know. But but I think the biggest change should be in how. You know, you see, you seen how Minnesota, you know, played their hand. You know, he he talked after the game. Taylor Jenkins, yeah, that is, he talked after the game about how you know Minnesota had three three bodies surrounding, you know, Stephen Adams and and tried to contain him on the boards that way. Well, now you make the adjustment. If they're gonna play that way, you make your your adjustments with him on the court. See how that goes. And if you're still getting that negative impact. Then I think, you know, in that second half of game two, you really, you know, switch the tide and, and you really lean on Brandon Clark a lot more. But I think in the first half, you still stick to your guns because it could have just been, a you know, game one uh, could have been just a fill out game. You've seen, you know, how they were going to play you. Now you make your adjustment. If his adjustment doesn't work and you see the same issues, then, yeah, you have to go to Brandon Clark more. But I think your first move should still be to keep Stephen Adams on the court. Because at the end of the day, this was one of the expected advantages coming into the series. You know, the Timberwolves are middle of the pack rebounding team, I think 16th in the league, and the Grizzlies are first. So this was this was supposed to be, you know, one of their advantages. And, and Stephen Adams is, is a big reason why. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I have, uh, my gut tells me, He's going to be a 10 minute a game guy. Most of the rest of the series. That's, that's my gut feeling on Steven Adams. Um, I think he's got, I, I think they're, it's going to, I don't think you want Jaron defending cat for the entire game. And I think if you put Steven Adams on cat again, he's going to, he's going to, you know, you're, you're either going to, you're either going to, he's either going to take advantage of it again, like he did in game one, or you're going to double and ex- overextend your defense and give up other stuff. Like, I, I just feel like you have a solution on your bench in, mm-hmm. in Brandon Clark, um, who was pretty darn – like, him and Dylan Brooks were really the only two guys who played well for Memphis in that game uh, the other day. And uh, I think you got – I just think you got to be willing to, to, to kind of ditch Adams quickly, you know, cut bait quickly in this game too. It's too important of a game at this point. Um to, to try and figure it, see if it can, over time it can work. Um, so it, it's fast. It's a fascinating dilemma because just in general, I mean, that game one, you know, it felt like, you know, what the most, the most, I guess, concerning part of it in general to me was that it felt like the Timberwolves had the Grizzlies on their heels from the opening tip. Like from the moment Carl Anthony town started taking it to Steven Adams, the Grizzlies were on their heels and yeah. never really, you know, they controlled so many games this year. Like one of their great things about this team was that they could bend you to their will a lot, a lot during the regular season. And very seldom in that game did it feel like the Grizzlies were dictating terms in that game. Uh, maybe in that second quarter when coincidentally they came back with Ja, Dylan, and Jaron all on the yep. bench. Um, that's the only time in the game where it really felt like, oh, this is this is the Grizzlies. This is the team that won fifty six games, um, and so that that obviously needs to change. Like they just weren't ready for game one. And I think part of it is, 
And maybe a lot of it is, you know, one, they had the week off between the end of the regular season. But also, like, really, the last game they played the Grizzlies that even approached the intensity level that they had to play with in that game one was like, what, probably the Brooklyn game at home? That was like three, four weeks ago, you know? Like, they just hadn't played a game of high intensity in a while, and I think it showed um, with the way they came out in game one. And it's also why I'm encouraged for game two, because my gut tells me they're not going to play – they're not going to play a game as bad as game one the rest of the series. That's that's what my gut tells me. Yeah, and and at, I mean, now the Grizzlies have their chance to make their adjustment. You know, that's I think game two is is going to be one of the biggest indicators of of how Taylor Jenkins plans to you know play out this series because you talk mm-hmm. about Stephen Adams being on a shorter lease. You talk about maybe how how will he protect Jaron Jackson Jr. You see sometimes coaches. Like if a guy picks up, if Jaron Jackson Jr. picks up his first foul early, maybe you just sit him down, you know, for majority of that first quarter, so you can have two pl- two fouls to play with in the in the second quarter, and you can you know have him for longer stretches throughout the rest of the game. So, just what other type of adjustments will he make based off of Game One? I, I think that's something to watch too. But in no means is is Game One usually you know just the biggest indicator of how these teams will, will play because, I mean, the Timberwolves are going to make more adjustments too. I mean, just because they went, they won doesn't mean, you know, they're just going to stand pat and, and play the exact same way. Uh, John Morant, I just thought when he spoke in, in shoot-around, I, I mean, after practice, he really, uh, you could tell he really was tuned in to what happened, you know, in, in film. In film, He talked about how they were blitzing him. And, and you know, that's something he's faced all season. But, I think, you know, he's going to be even more prepared for that for that style, you know, going into this game, uh, being blitzed and, you know, the extra dribble. I think the ball is going to move a little bit more. And that was the one question, too, when John Morant came back. So it was interesting to see, you know, him say that, too, because Jaron Jackson Jr. even said before John got back, the big thing for he and his teammates was not to be ball watching. So not to, you know, just be in stargaze mode of, uh Get out of the way. Let John Morant d- do what he do. And you mentioned, you know, that second quarter run that they had, Mark. The ball was moving. I mean, yeah. watch those possessions. The ball was, it was Tyus Jones and it was, you know, Desmond Bain. And, 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 I mean, it was like a different brand of basketball for those few minutes in that in that game. Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. And it 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 does. I think one adjustment that might need to be made is, um, frankly, like the best players got to play more, you know, like this, you know, like Taylor played 10 guys sort of, um, you know, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give D'Anthony Melton one more shot to show he can, he can show up in a playoff game, but he was awful in game one and he was not good in last year's playoffs and he wasn't good in the bubble and the play in, the year before that and like I'm shortening the rotation if those guys can't deliver for me again when they come in in the first half and like that's where we're at I think like it it, it, you know I know that they're their depth one of the concerning things from game one is that you could just see the depth didn't matter as much you know like the fact that your ninth and tenth guys are better than their ninth and tenth guys well that doesn't matter as much when yeah. Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are playing 42 minutes. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, 
and so, you know, I, I think if I'm Taylor Jenkins, I'm changing, you know, Jaws playing 40 minutes. Um, Jaron's playing as many minutes as possible. Brandon Clark's playing yeah. is you're up in his minutes. Dylan's playing 40 minutes. Like that's how, that's what I'm doing. You know, yeah. like I'm, I'm playing my best players more. Um, not necessarily leaning on our leaning on depth. Um, because you only, you know, in that yeah. second half, I mean, Minnesota really only played six or seven guys. There's right. enough time between games. You can go full throttle like that to me. Uh, yeah. And that's probably what they're going to need to do eventually. Now, I'm not yeah. saying, again, I'm the same way with Melton as I am with Adams. I'm willing to give him another chance. Mm-hmm. But if it's not working again, I, you have to be quick to cut bait. You just have to. It's too important. This game, too, is too important. Yeah, a, a coach once told me that, you know, you get to the postseason with depth, but that's that's not how you're going to win your championships. You know, your your championships are going to be won by your top guys. And and you see, you know, over the history, you know, these super deep teams who don't have the the top notch uh, star power don't don't really always win the championships. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's we've talked about this, you know, for for weeks now, Taylor Jenkins and the whole rotation thing. Uh, he's going to have to really uh, tune in on some guys. And and I think, you know, Desmond Bain, too, you know, along with those guys that you mentioned, he he has to play a lot. Because, and Desmond Bain had one of the, you know, more straightforward takes out the game one, too. He said that the Grizzlies need to shoot more threes. And I thought that was a good point, being that the Timberwolves shot 16 of 41 and the Grizzlies were 7 of 27. So not only did they double them in makes, but they took 14 more three-pointers. Not saying the Grizzlies should shoot, you know, 43 pointers. That's just not the Grizzlies game. They're number one paint scoring team in the NBA. But you, you just got to, you know, if if the Timberwolves are making 16 threes, you want to at least make 10. You know, you have to, 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 you know, keep that gap, you know, minimal as possible because that that team, you know, they, they're going to shoot their threes. And if you're just you know, trying to get all these all these two-point shots and, and you're not getting a lot of three-point makes. Uh, you need your best shooters out there as much as possible. And, and Desmond Bain, I think he shot three of eight from three-point range in that game. So, right, you know, close enough to his average. And and just get him more shots. Dylan Brooks was three. Yeah, but, like, yeah, to me, Bain is a given. Like, you're going to yeah. – you, you need to get threes from him. You're going to. It's you're about those fun. other guys, you know? Yeah. It's about the other guys. It's about Ja hitting a three or two. It's about Melton hitting threes. It's about Jaron hitting threes. Right. Those those are the guys. And and you mentioned Ja. I mean, Ja hasn't made a three-pointer since the very first matchup against the Timberwolves. Last four games, no three-pointers made. And, Did Ja I mean, not- attempt anything other than a layup in that game? Yeah, I don't he think only- he really even attempted a floater or a pull-up <laughs> yeah. jumper. Like, he, it was all just mad dashes to the rim and he got to the line a lot and frankly in the first half i thought he was a big reason why they stayed close was him getting to the line whatever but he had he had three field goals over the final three quarters of the game um Mm -hmm. and as you mentioned too often he was just like going into traffic and kind of just getting stuck at the rim almost yeah he he attempted two three-pointers and it was because you know he mentioned they were blitzing him and that was a big reason why because if soon as you come off of a pick and roll you see two bodies um the only way he he probably felt he could get around it was using his speed to dash by them to the rim and that's what he tried to do a lot and sometimes it worked sometimes it got him to the free throw line and other times you know we get 
you know, rejected like Anthony Edwards and a couple other times with those longer defenders. So uh, they need to, yeah, he's going to have to shoot, shoot more, shoot better. The Anthony Melton you mentioned, you know, you have to give him another chance because he was, he was really on a heater uh, to close that season. He, he played 14 minutes, you know, in this last game. So let's, let's see, you know, what, what can he bring to the table as well from a three point shooting perspective, but Jaron Jackson is, you know, the biggest wild card there because he's going to shoot them. We've seen throughout the season, Jaron Jackson Jr. He's going to take those trail threes, those pull-up threes. He's going to get his shots. Now it's just, it's about making them for him too. Well, and here's the truth. As you know, they missed, they missed open shots. The offense looked disjointed. They put up 117 points. The reason they lost the game ultimately is they couldn't stop Minnesota. Like that's really, if we're really truly getting down to it, they gave up 40 points in the first quarter and 130 points for the game. Um, like, I ultimately don't think offense was necessarily the problem. The problem was they could not get a stop when they needed it against that Minnesota team. And part of it was because Jaron didn't play enough. Um, part of it was, you know, Anthony Edwards, you know, like killed them uh, in that game. Um, you know, Bain struggled with him early, got better a little bit as the game went on. Then they switched Dylan onto Edwards. And by that, you know, Edwards hit some tough shots on Dylan. I would expect Dylan will start game two on Anthony Edwards and you'll have Bane on D'Angelo Russell. And that's one thing that's gotten overlooked. Like Minnesota won that game and D'Angelo Russell was pretty awful for him. He was terrible. And, and, and now, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bane. He's got to be able, you know, you feel like you can trust Dylan to slow down whoever he's guarding, you know, Bain's got to show a little better defensively than he would, than he did in game two. I know the numbers that the NBA tracks show that like team shot, uh, the Minnesota shot, I don't know, not a great percentage against him, but I'm just telling you what my eyes told me. A lot of that stuff Edwards got early was partially because, you know, Bain was not strong enough coming around screens was giving up a lot of space didn't did, you know? He, you know, Edwards got the better of him, um, and so he's got to be better defensively. I think overall. Yeah, and, and and we saw you know early on in the game. You know, you talk about them guarding Edwards. I think by the time you switch Dylan Brooks on to him, he was he was already cooking. And I you know I asked Dylan Brooks about that after that game one too because he said you know basically when a guy's going like that. You know, it's it's tough and it is for these NBA guys because he even said, you know, he feels like the same way when he's on offense. When when Dylan Brooks has got it going on offense, he doesn't feel like anyone can guard him. That's the way it looked with Anthony Edwards, because by the time, you know, Dylan Brooks contested some shots, but it was game over, you know, guarding Anthony Edwards at that point. So I think, you know, you, you have to start Dylan Brooks on Anthony Edwards, try to take him, you know, don't even allow him to get into a rhythm. And, and, you know, D'Angelo Russell, you know, he, I mean, you, you see what you get from him because he was two of 11. Uh, we've seen Desmond Bain guarding before we, I mean, even in that, in that last regular season, when Minnesota had, uh, against the, the Grizzlies, that was a lot of Zaire Williams. So, so we'll see, you know, how Desmond Bain fares against him, you know, in a larger portion, but I think, you know, he has the, the bigger body. He has to be physical with him. And you take your chances with that matchup over letting, I mean, because when Anthony Edwards gets going, we've seen, I mean, he's had a 49-point game, a 35-point game, a 36-point game just, like, in the last couple of weeks. Like, he's rolling right now. 
Yeah, no, plenty of plenty of intriguing storylines going into game two. Um, that's for sure. And it feels like, you know, look, I, I, I tend to agree with what the Grizzlies said. Hey, we're going to be fine. Like, it's not time to panic. And I think they're right. Like, this is the adjustment game. This is the game where, you know, Taylor Jenkins, you know, it's, it's a big moment for Taylor Jenkins to make the right adjustments here. Um, because if you win game two, you're back on stable ground. And I, and I, like I said, I firmly believe that the Grizzlies can't play worse or not, not can't, but aren't going to play worse than they did in game one, the rest of the series. And that gives you hope of, of what's to come. Um, I think they're going to, I think they're going to come out like gangbusters in game two. And it's going to be a question of, you know, how does Minnesota respond to that? But they need to, they need to take it to Minnesota this time. It needs to be, you know, hope this is, this is where we'll learn a lot about Taylor Jenkins, I think, because this is where the coach's reputation is made. Um, What's he willing, you know, what's he able to do? Um, Because it did feel like, you know, the whole operation just didn't look right on uh, on Saturday. You know, from most of the players, you know, whether it was like Ja, you know, Ja had in the numbers 32 and 8, but it was kind of, felt kind of empty for him. You know what I mean? Like it didn't feel like an impactful 32 and 8. Obviously, Jaron didn't play great. Steven Adams played pretty terribly. We mentioned Dylan played well. Bain was, you know, okay, but not, you know, great you know he could play better um melton was bad um anderson gave you some kyle anderson gave you some good minutes um and i think he you know he could be important if adam if you can't play adams um you know zaire had some bright spots in terms of the alley-oops but you know looked like a rookie out there defensively at times getting kind of overpowered um and if he's not if he's not hitting threes for you um, you know, I'm not sure there's a role for him right now. Like that's why I'd lean towards shortening things up rather than mm-hmm. like throwing Conchar in there or, you know, doing something like that. I, I think you just shorten the rotation to eight if you need to. Um, Tyus played okay. And I think, you know, something to monitor if they can get good minutes, especially if DeAnthony Melton is not playing well, if they can get by and get some good minutes with the jaw Tyus backcourt, that could be a huge swing in the series, I think, um, if you can't trust Melton. And I suspect that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I suspect we're not going to be able to trust DeAnthony Melton in this series um, based off his history. We'll see. But um, lots, there's just so many different directions this could yeah. go. It feels mm-hmm. like, you know, I think the Brooklyn-Boston series is going to be more compelling just given the names involved and the teams mm-hmm. involved. But other than that, this looks like it's going to be, you know, either the most or second most compelling first round series uh, this season. Um, I, you know, I, I, I you, you, your main takeaway from that game one was, you know, I don't think the Grizzlies, you know, I, I had Grizzlies in five and I still see a scenario where um, they can win it in five, you know, like these things turn quickly, as Ja put it, but more than likely, you know, this is going to be a knockdown, drag them out first round series um, that is going to really test uh, this team and this group. Yeah, I mean, it's it's looking that way. And but but, you know, game game two, like I said, that, that's the game we're going to like you said, we're going to see what 
Taylor Jenkins, you know, what his next move is. You know, we're going to see, you know, how Jaron Jackson adjusts to what he's seen on film, how the Grizzlies as a team adjust to how, you know, Minnesota tried to take Steven Adams, you know, out of the game. There are a lot of adjustments to be made just off of what they saw in game one. And, who, I mean, game two could go completely different because you, you can make the right adjustments. I mean, from a talent perspective, the Grizzlies, you know, aren't far behind, you know, the Timberwolves or anything like that. It's it's more basically the Timberwolves out-executed, out out-hustled them, out-physicaled them in, in game one. So, and all of those things are, are correctable. So, this is this is a series though. I, I I'm enjoying it from from that perspective that you just mentioned. You know, this is going to be one of the tightest series. Uh, you got these two young teams, two of the youngest teams in the whole league meeting together. This is the youngest playoff series there is. It's exciting times now and, and for the future. Yeah, well, we assume it's going to be tight. They're going to have to win game two. Um, that is, a, <laughs> you know, I know it's not a must win because you don't lose the series, but like it is going to be really difficult to win this series if you lose both these games at home. So um, we'll have tons of coverage over commercialpeel.com. We already have tons of coverage over commercialpeel.com. Um, DeMichael's got a story up about Jaron Jackson Jr. Evan Barnes has a story from Timberwolves practice, how they're planning to defend uh, John Morant. Uh, and we'll have tons of coverage on site. We didn't even mention uh, protest lady with the chains. It has been already so much. <laughs> happened and, and we're chronicling it all at commercialappeal.com hopefully you will uh check it out um and we will uh we will rejoin you in podcast form i think next monday is what we've decided um after uh that'll be after game four. Oh, you know hopefully you know i assume the series will not be over at that point um i don't think the timberwolves are going to sweep the grizzlies but obviously they are a serious Threat. Anything else, to Michael? You've got for any for everyone? No, no, that's it. Um, I mean, just this. I mean, if people are expecting this team to hit the panic button, I I don't think they've hit that button yet. You know, it's even you know John Morant didn't even call this this game a must win game. He he wouldn't even take it there. You know, he mentioned your point about you know teams have lost the first two games and won four straight. Now that would be a massive hole, but. But the response... It doesn't happen often, DeMichael. It does not happen often, especially <laughs> when you lose the first two at home. At home, yeah. That's that's the big one. You losing them at home. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. And um, I'm, I'm excited for game two. This is, this is the game where really good teams generally punch back. So we'll see how they punch back. Yeah, big time proving ground for these Grizzlies to kind of show their playoff medal. Uh, till next time, till next Monday, I was Mark... That was DeMichael. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, enjoy game two. Should be a doozy. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.